Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Welcome to Literary Quest. This week, we are going to be talking about Radiance by Grace Draven. However, we do have a little information about the upcoming uh, February uh, month schedule. We are reading along with Faro Feb, which is an event that's um, going on online. Um, and they have uh, each week a different book. So we picked a book from each week. And so we're starting February off with Radiance. I'll start off with our character descriptions. We have Ildiko, our main heroine. She is the niece of King Singor the Lame. She was his younger sister's child and was orphaned. She is described as being pale with red hair and blue eyes. Oh, we should also do a disclaimer. We are trying our best to pronounce these names and locations that, as we can. We apologize if we butcher anything in the next this hour. Is, this <laughs> is the hooked on phonics pronunciation. Like, <laughs> we're just guessing. Yeah. Um, so Brishan, he's the male lead. He's the younger son of the King of Kai. He is tall with gray skin that has undertones of teal and lavender. He has pointed nails, yellow eyes. Um, he's described as having sharp boned features and a toothy smile with long black hair. He's not human. It's also, I forgot to say that. Um, uh, Anne Hust. Anne Hust. Anne Hust. Anne Hust. This is going to be real bad. <laughs> Hold on. I will also, let me also do a thing. Um, I am hungover this weekend, so <laughs> bear with me <laughs> as I struggle, please, <laughs> through this episode. <laughs> she opened by saying, I'm doing this laying down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> And and you and you asked, is that what you're? <laughs> what are we going with? And you said. And you said. <laughs> Brishan's cousin's name is Anne Yuset. She is his lieutenant and second in command. We also meet Tommy. A Kai soldier under Brishan's command. King Sangor the Lame is Ildiko's uncle. He is the king of Gar. And he's married off the women in his family for alliances. So his daughters and now his niece as well. Queen Sekmus is the queen of Kai. She's described as being ruthless and she enjoys other people's misery. King Diodor. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, King Diodor. He's the king of the Kai. He, 
king yeah he is described as having eyes that were nearly white due to age and teeth nearly black also due to age then we have lord cervic uh pangeon pangeon and just um he is the lord who lives in high salor which is the fortress that is neighbors to sagara he and lord Grishin get along he is human um then we see a couple places here there's gar i'm saying gar gar the home country of our heroine the capital is preset she does not feel a very strong connection to her home country however she does appreciate the beautiful landscapes uh, then kai is the home country of our male lead the capital is herodes they are the inhabitants i guess they're not humans they call themselves a people of the night because it's um they come out at night they're nocturnal that's the word they're nocturnal um uh, all citizens have magic but it gets more and more diluted with each generation there's bellawat a kingdom that often skirmishes with gar as they desire their seaports they are one of the main reasons for the alliance between Kai and Gar because the fastest way uh, to get to Gar from Bellawat is through Kai. So by making the alliance, makes it harder for Bellawat to come through. Sagara is Brishan's estate. Um, it's described as being a fortress um, and it's near the border of Bellawat. And then High Salor is the estate's last slash fortress that is neighbors with Sagara. Okay, Marissa, please take over <laughs> my dumpster fire and with the plots. Okay. <laughs> so Radiance opens on Ildika's wedding day in Gaur. She is set to marry Prince Brishan of Bastardis. And in seeking to find some time alone before they are wed, she wanders into the palace gardens. There she encounters a young Kai male who is also seeking alone time. At first, Ildiko is frightened of the young Kai man, but she realizes that this must be someone in her future husband's family or part of his party. And so she attempts to be kind and welcoming to him. They speak with each other pretty openly about how they're both repelled by how the other looks and have a surprisingly pleasant and honest conversation. Ildika reveals her name as she leaves to return to her room. And we learn that the male she's encountered is her betrothed. So shortly before they are to marry, the male Kai, Brishan, comes to Ildiko's door and he reveals himself as her future husband, which she is pleased to discover. Their wedding is fraught with tension on both sides and Brishan and his fellow Kai are slightly traumatized by the human food that they are served during their reception. As a Ildiko has no surviving immediately family, surviving immediate family. Um, she says that she's ready to leave really shortly after the reception to make for uh, Bastardis, the Kai capital. And so they, they leave. On the way to the capital, their company is attacked by a group of thieves sent by Bellawat as a sign that their king is unhappy with the union of the 
Gower and Nakai. And so the thieves who attack them are killed, but also three of Brishan's soldiers are killed in the skirmish. And so Brishan honors the spirit of one of his soldiers by taking the soldier's mortem light, which is like the essence of his soul, into his body until it can be returned to the soldier's family. They make their way to the capital where Ildiko has her first encounter with Brishan's intimidating family. And while she's amusing to his father with her boldness, she makes an enemy of Brishan's mother, Queen Sekmus. They return to Brishan's rooms in the palace where they get ready for a celebratory feast that his parents are throwing for them. And Brishan takes the time to introduce Ildiko to Kai delicacies so she will not be traumatized by the meal in the same way that he was at their, their wedding reception. And she enjoys most of the meal. However, the last delicacy that she, she is served is called scarpatine pie. And that, that nearly does her in. She becomes <laughs> ill in response to seeing and eating this dish. And so scarpatine is a highly venomous, hard-shelled, insect-like animal that is baked alive into a pie. It must be stabbed, killed, and carved within the pie. Its meat is gray and covered in an oily substance, and Ildiko vomits when he serves it to her. When she Ildiko vomits when Brishan serves it to her. So, but she has the opportunity to become acquainted with it so that she's not shocked when they actually have their feast. And so, when they get to the feast and throughout the feast, Queen Sekmus makes insulting comments to Ildiko about her appearance, about humans in general. And Ildiko politely replies to each comment, further agitating Queen Sekmus. However, they make it through dinner unscathed. While in town, Brishan delivers the mortem light of his fallen soldier to his, the, the soldier's mother, Tarwin, which leaves him weakened and is a surprising display of magic for Ildiko. After a week of court dealings, Ildiko is wearied and Brishan is eager to return to his home in Sagara, so they make arrangements to pack and leave the capital shortly. That evening, as Ildiko is preparing for another dinner, she turns down her bed to find a highly venomous female scarpatine between her sheets. The scarpatine runs off, and Ildiko chases it down and kills it with an axe. Brishan, hearing her shouts, runs to discover what's happened and realizes that someone is trying to kill his wife. Knowing that his mother is undoubtedly behind this, he takes off with the intention of killing her, but is stopped by his very loyal cousin, Anhuset. Instead, he redirects to ask his father for permission to leave the castle as soon as possible, and his request is granted. So Brishan and company leave the castle before dinner and make for Sagara. So they make it to Sagara, and after two months in residence there, they are invited by Saravek to... House Pangeon, where Brishan and so Brishan's neighbor um, and member of the Belladine Empire to dine at his home at High Salor. And so, though they are members of countries that are not friendly to each other, Brishan and Saravek have always had a highly friendly, mutually beneficial relationship with each other. Brishan is cautious about taking his wife to High Salur, given their recent attack upon leaving Prisid by the Bellawat Empire. And so 
Um, but Brishan, but the king of High Salur um, continues to honor their friendship and gives him a warning that this isn't the first incident. Their attack was not the first incident, and they should anticipate more issues um, arising because Belladine or Bellowat is not happy about this alliance between the Kai and the Gower. Um, Brishan and Ildiko begin to get closer to each other and at his request she begins to sleep in the same bed with him. Brishan begins to realize that his wife is not necessary though she's not necessarily attractive to him to other humans she's very beautiful and appealing he gets a little bit defensive and maybe jealous when the king or when Saravek um makes this known that she's she's a very beautiful person um Brishan invites Saravek to Sagara to dine with them and they return home from their dinner at Saravek's house without issue. As Ildiko settles into life at Sagara, she begins to learn more about her husband. And one evening she asks him why he is so unlike his parents. And he takes her to a part of the wall that surrounds his manor where he has hidden the mortem light of his younger sister, who was born with a clubfoot deformity and killed by their mother four days into her life. Her mother, their mother, um, planned to steal her soul and use the light from that to increase her own power. And so with the help of Anhiset and his old nurse, he was able to hide his sister's light until he moved to Sagara. He reveals his hatred for his mother and revealing all of the truths leaves him feeling raw. And so he tells Ildiko to return to her own bed as he fears he may hurt her with his grief and anger. And so he attempts to take out his anger and frustration by sparring, but he realizes that the only thing that will soothe him is his wife. And so he retrieves her from her room, his, her rooms and brings her to his room where they share in the pleasures of the flesh with each other for the first time and a second time and a third time. Uh, Brishan and company travel to the Halmatis township, which is near his manor. Uh, Ildika has expressed that she would like to see the towns, the villages that are part of his territory that surround him. And also there's a jeweler in this town who can repair a necklace that was given to her by her mother. So they make their way to this village and they have a really enjoyable time there. But as they start to make their way back to Sagara, they realize that they're being followed. So Brishan, Ildiko, and their soldiers are ambushed by a group of Belladine soldiers who are seeking to murder Brishan and Eldiko. And he said, is able to get Eldiko across the bridge away from the bulk of the soldiers, but Brishan weakens himself using magic to allow this to happen. And he said, and Eldiko are still being pursued, but Saravek arrives to save them from the soldiers and the mage, mage wolves who are chasing them. However, they discover that Brishan being weakened has been taken hostage by Belladine's forces. So will Saravek and Hisat Nildiko be able to rescue him before he is killed? You'll have to read the book to find out or continue listening. This is your spoiler warning. We're going to talk about all of the things from this point forward. So 
continue to listen if you want, or if you don't like spoilers, this would be the time to pause. So Marissa, this is your second read of the book, right? Yeah. Was it? Uh, so I, this was the first time I read it. Um, I really enjoyed it. I guess you did too. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, it's one of those books that showed up like repeatedly on my recommended for you thing, like mm-hmm. online. I never, I never got it. I was like, oh, there it is, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when we were talking about following along with Favreau Feb, um, we picked this book. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, I guess Kindle does know me. Knows what <laughs> <I> like. Yeah. <laughs> except, I mean, most of the time, except for those cat books they were recommending to you. What is that? That's so bizarre. Yeah. I don't know how bizarre the algorithm got messed up somewhere. Yeah. I read this book because I saw it in one of the Facebook groups that we're in. There was someone, I think it popped up a couple of times. Someone was recommending it. And so I read it because of that and really enjoyed it. It's, it's a sweet book. Mm -hmm. It's nice to read books where like the main characters are put in a situation that's not necessarily ideal, but they don't treat each other poorly because of their circumstances. They're both kind and respectful. They recognize the situation for what it is and they actually try to help each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, it was very refreshing. I think after some of the other books we've been reading. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they, do, they work together. <laughs> it's like their relationship is built on, trust and respect Mm -hmm. which is it was just a really sweet book Mm -hmm. Um, I I really loved their banter Mm -hmm. and their back and forth and that their first interaction where he says that uh she's a hag right Mm -hmm. and she tells him like oh if I was a child and you were the monster under my bed I would club you or something it's just real I mean you know it's It's just honest yeah 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 I like that Uh, yeah and I like that they keep pulling those like (laughs) those phrases in like as part when when their relationship becomes more affectionate and develops into more of a loving relationship they still call each other like hag and eel Mm -hmm. calls her a horse because of her teeth and she calls him a wolf uh i know i will never think uh, now i'll never think of teeth the same way yeah human teeth horse teeth mm-hmm. i do have a question i had a lot of trouble visualizing his teeth now mm-hmm. are they all the same length or does he have fangs are they serrated i'm just i'm very confused i don't think they're all the same length he's, right, he's it sounds like, like fangs yeah i think he's got fangs i think the rest of his teeth are pointed because she refers to them as mouth swords Mm. and that's why he can't kiss her like with like with tongue like that the way that humans kiss each other because he will like rip her mouth apart (laughs) so yeah okay he's got a mouthful of swords great which uh so the scene where they're kissing each other, like when they finally like kiss each other, they, so they call it the pleasures of the flesh in this book, which I think is hysterical because it reminds me of um, Wonder Woman. That's what she calls the pleasures of the flesh. When she's talking with Steve Trevor, he's asking her like, 
if she's ever had sex with anyone, basically. And she's talking about how she's read someone's treatises about the pleasures of the flesh. (laughs) (laughs) All of these. Um, Was that a metaphor? Last week it was enjoying each other's company. (laughs) This week it's pleasures of the flesh. Anyway. They have their first kiss and he's like, I can't kiss you this way. I will tear your mouth apart. And she's like, just stick your tongue out. And it sounds like she, like it reads like she's sucking on his tongue. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing that yeah. happens? Yes. Like <sighs> just thinking about that makes me want to gag a little bit. So I guess people do kiss that way. Hmm. I just don't. Actually, it's not explained. Are they just because they're not human? No, it's not explained where they came from. They're just like on they a just exist. Right. Yeah. Okay. I really struggle with the eyes. I didn't struggle so much with the teeth, but I do struggle with the eyes because mm-hmm. I just imagine like either really big bug eyes or really big alien eyes because they're just like yellow. Mm-hmm. They're like yellow lanterns. So like. Why don't they have pupils? Are there animals that lack pupils? I feel like pupils are an evolutionary advantage because they let you filter, like control how much light comes in and goes out. And it seems like that. I mean, even if you are a nocturnal person, if like, it's not, they're not out only when the, like when the, the sun is down. I'm trying to think about nocturnal animals. They usually have like larger eyes. Right. They have large eyes. I think they I'm so sorry, I'm yawning. I think um I don't know. They always have pupils. I don't know. It's just a creative choice, I guess, on the author's part. Yeah. I just had a hard time. Oh uh, yeah. well, so there's a I'm looking at an a creature right now it's called a tarsier but its eyes it's it's all pupil like it's black mm. interesting i mm. find eyes really interesting this was my favorite part of the did you take neuropsychology in college no i didn't take neuro wait yes yes i did okay yeah. so we dissected a cow's eye mm-hmm That was like my favorite thing I think I've ever done in a lab. It was fascinating. The structures of eyes are fascinating to me. Very complicated, right? They are super complicated. Mm -hmm. And um, animals, they have, um, what is that called? The shiny stuff in the the back of an eye. Tapetum uh, lucidum. That's what it is. So there's like when you shine the like a light in a dog's eye and it looks like blue or green Mm -hmm. that there's a name for that. That was in the cow eye. And it was so cool. So something that I really liked about this book was that the main characters didn't fall in love immediately. Mm -hmm. I feel like this was a really good slow burn romance story like it was several months before they started to like they like developed some interest in each other but it was several months after they had gotten married when they they finally like developed those like stronger feelings and um 
enjoyed the pleasures of their flesh. And, and so it was nice. It was a nice change from like the insta love that we read about sometimes. Mm -hmm. It really was. And normally a lot of times these like arranged marriage books, um, you know, it'll be like at least one of them finds the other one attractive. Yeah. Right. You know, like either the guy will be like really attractive and really muscular or the woman will be like absolutely stunning. Mm -hmm. And in this, they were both like, you're ugly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. also a little refreshing. I like, it yeah, was. I really enjoyed this book. Yeah, um, it's just really sweet. Mm -hmm. The um, huh, one thing the country bell bell what right? As yeah, but the citizens are belladines. Yeah, where where the W and the T go? Where the I D come from? Where how'd that happen? Where's the D? <laughs> I yeah, know. I don't know. I don't really understand that. Maybe it's part of their history that we just don't understand. Maybe. How did you feel about the relationship between the king and queen of Kai? And what did you think of them? Like their first interaction when? So I thought the queen was, you know, not very nice. She was mean. I didn't, mm -hmm. I don't like her. Um, obviously. And I think based on the epilogue, in there she's gonna have a, she has a larger role in the next book as well but yeah i did not like her um she seems to be like needlessly cruel sort of mm -hmm. thing um the king i don't i don't know how i felt about i didn't really uh, um let's see I didn't have any strong feelings about the king in terms of their relationship though i thought it was pretty sad i mean he made the joke about like oh they each one they have to sleep with one eye open mm -hmm. right they can't sleep and that's sad yeah i don't know i don't remember how they got married i guess it was probably an arranged marriage yeah yeah i would imagine so imagine so and that's i guess that would be one of those situations where the people involved um in the arranged marriage don't ever develop loving feelings for the other mm -hmm. which is unfortunate yeah i sekmus is terrifying mm -hmm. yes. i i love that Britian is able to though not become his parents you know mm -hmm. that he vowed that he wouldn't do that and you know he doesn't I yeah that was i think that's miraculous mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, and probably helpful factors in that would be that his parents probably didn't actually do much to raise him. He was probably raised by servants. So that really speaks to the people who actually did raise him, that he was able to be a decent person mm -hmm. um, in spite of his unfortunate parentage. He mentions several times that he's like the spare heir that, mm -hmm. um, that you know the bloodline is secured or the the reigning line is secured by his brother who's got a jillion kids so he kind of has that freedom to do whatever like well not really the freedom to do whatever he wants but he has more freedom than his brother i guess but he still gets i just wonder if they start to feel like property you know because 
what's her name? Ildiko is treated the same way. Mm-hmm. She um, wasn't married off sooner because they were waiting for the opportune person to marry her off to. Um, and I just like, they seem very well adjusted and they have accepted their roles in this situation very well. I just wonder if they ever feel like just a bargaining tool. I think I would feel like a bargaining tool. Yeah, I would feel like bargaining tool, but both of them at least, you know, kind of make the best out of it, mm-hmm. of their situations. It's said at one point, so when they get attacked, I think, I think it was the second time or whatever, they get attacked and they're like, we're, we're nobodies, basically. Like, we were supposed to be left mm-hmm. alone. They shouldn't be targeting us, you know? Yeah. But in their situation, it's like, they don't perceive themselves as being like, they have that freedom. They don't perceive themselves as being important, but in this book, they are important, which is why uh, they're repeatedly like trying to, the Belladine soldiers are repeatedly trying to kill them. And even when Brishan is taken hostage, like they cut out his eye and send it to Queen Sekmus as like a bargaining chip. Like we'll release your your son and not kill him if you whatever. And because he's the spare heir and Sekhmus is terrible, she, <laughs> like, it's obvious she has no intention of giving up anything mm-hmm. to save his life. He would have died if Saravak and Ildiko and, and he said, and their soldiers hadn't gone in to rescue him. Yeah. She, yeah, she wasn't going to do anything. No. I, <laughs> she gave the eye back to him. Mm-hmm. That was so messed up. She's awful. Oh, so hateful. Oh, and then really weird. So mm-hmm. at the end, when she like is low key calling her son like what would be an attractive lover. Oh yeah, you'd make an excellent Blech. consort, right? Yeah, like who who says that to their child? I don't know. Real gross. Yeah, I I'm. He mentions it too, like Brishan is like, mm-hmm. ew. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want my mother to tell me that. No. Yeah. <laughs> like that's so disgusting. They both have really funny reactions to like eating each other's food. Yes. It's one of my favorite parts in the, of the book. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. so when they get married, right, in Gar, as I'm going to say it. Um, and one of the things they're fed is like potatoes. And I kind of relate to Brishan's, I guess, um, comparison of a baked potato like being like maggots or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I can I can see that. I it definitely kind of has that texture to it, I guess, and that look, because it, if it's just a baked potato there's it's just white and Mm -hmm. flavorless as a potato you know Mm -hmm. so i i agreed with him on the maggot potato (laughs) yeah i think potatoes are good conduits for flavor Mm -hmm. potatoes by themselves like there's no point like just a plain baked potato why why would you eat that it has no flavor tastes like dirt if you eat the peel like 
but they're great kind of like chips and salsa like you eat the chip but you want the salsa or the cheese dip or whatever same with potato well chips are actually good without things though but potatoes are not but potatoes are great conduits for flavor butter mm, yes sour cream okay cheese loaded up bacon yes like all of the toppings but potatoes by themselves yeah i can see how he wouldn't be impressed with that i wouldn't be impressed with that um at some point they host like his um his mom right at sagara mm -hmm. and um Ildiko puts potato on the menu just to mess with her mm -hmm. i loved that i love when Ildiko and Brishan first arrive at the capital bastardies and uh queen sekmus and the king they're talking about all this stuff that uh, Brishan is giving up and Ildiko's like wait 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 is he giving up his homeland and every person that he knows and like he's giving up his ability to have an heir sure but what else is he really giving up he can take mm -hmm. mistresses like he can do all this other stuff like I like how El Dico. I mean, she's pretty quiet and I think fairly reserved, but she definitely like rep stands up for herself in some situations. And I like, I like especially because Sekmus is so hateful, how sassy and mm -hmm. snarky she is. Um, or like even at the dinner that they have when Sekmus is repeatedly insulting her, they're talking like she's talking about her pale, how pale her skin is. And Ildiko's like, well, your skin looks like what our dead people look like. Yes. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. Or, and she insults her ability to speak Kai. And she's like, well, my common tongue is much better. Mm -hmm. She just like, she takes it in a polite way, but her comments are spectacular. Yeah. She's, she's snarky. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. She's not cowering. Nope. And she's like, I like that she's curious as well about like all, all her new surroundings, you know, so mm -hmm. she's curious about everything, willing to learn. And she's willing to actually, I think Britishan says this in the book too. She's very adaptable, mm -hmm. um, which is true. And I think that comes from, she knew what her fate was going to be just as a woman, you know, in the Royal mm -hmm. family, um, she would have to adapt to someone's home so I think she was prepared for it and she right off the bat wears like the same clothes that the Kai wear mm -hmm. um you know trying to be to integrate herself yeah as easily as possible and as quickly as possible yeah so I admire but even that. with that even with that like that first meal she chooses an outfit that it's the clothes that the Kai wear but she chooses one like an outfit that highlights how how pale her skin is and how red her hair is right so she's adapting but she's still staying true to herself mm -hmm. I would not be adapting well I would probably lock myself in my room yeah and yeah that's right also to have to switch from being like you know normal be in the daylight and everything now having to switch to, over to basically being nocturnal person it had to be quite a switch 
Especially since humans, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Nope. As since humans like kind of thrive under the sun, they need it. We need it. <laughs> they. Yeah, for synthesis of vitamin D. Yes, yes, we need that. Yes, we do. When she was, um, yeah, when she was explaining that transition, trying to become nocturnal instead of, I think I would die in that situation. Like I was worried about her vitamin D levels. Like, are you <laughs> like, how are you going to do this? They don't have vitamins. Like what, what's the plan? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, there are some people who function well nocturnally, but for the most part human, like there's all this information about how humans are meant to sleep at night. I think I would probably die if I had to make that transition. I'm such a tired person anyway. Yeah. I would definitely miss the sun. Mm -hmm. That would be difficult. I mean, I guess if the night sky was really magical and amazing, that'd be, I mean, that's, that'd be cool, but I'd still miss the sun. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's pie. How did you say it? <laughs> Scarpatine. Scarpatine. Mm. I, I imagine, does it describe? I imagine just like tentacles <laughs> coming out of pie. I imagined like a mix between a lobster and a scorpion. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because it says it's got like a barbed venomous tail and it's got a bunch of legs and it's got a hard shell and it's insect-like. Yeah. This thing, it sounds like a nightmare. If something like this existed in our world, I would run away. Mm -hmm. There would not be any like ax smashing. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of, so I think every spider fearing person knows that when you take your eyes off a spider, that's when it disappears. Mm -hmm. So when she runs into the hallway to grab an ax and she leaves the thing in her room, I'm like, <gasps> You're never going to find it again and it's going to kill you in your sleep. Like, that's how I feel about spiders. It's a valid fear. Yeah. When I had to go to Africa for PT school, one of the people in the class under mine, he had been to Africa before already, um, to Zambia. And he told me about this uh, spider that comes out during their rainy season. And it's not, it's like a spider, but it's got like pinchers which is like a terrible combination of things and they're really big it's like this is like I started crying a little bit oh the spiders are so big in Zambia I don't envy that although I mean you got to go on like a safari right I did yeah and That's they're not good. uh spiders are not like aggressive and they tell you not to kill them because they eat the mosquitoes which is good because malaria is everywhere and mosquitoes are all, like there was one night so I got this like high level DEET <laughs> um, insect repellent mm. like it, it's for like the bush like it's yeah um, and like there was one night they were doing like this PowerPoint thing so there's like a screen and it's lit up but we're in the dark outside on a patio and all you can see is a haze of mosquitoes floating over us. Oh, no. oh gosh. Oh, 
there was one thing written in this where it's written that she snorted delicately. What? What? <laughs> you what don't is, snort delicately. <laughs> what does that mean? How do you do that? <laughs> I don't. Did you try? Did you practice? Like? I I did try. I was like, <laughs> it, it's not. I cannot do it. Maybe it's because I'm not royal. All I have are indelicate snorts. I know. I've never heard of a del- <laughs> a delicate snort. Is it like a? I don't. I don't know if I can try it. Nope. Just sounds like a pig. <laughs> Nope, that didn't feel delicate. I was thinking more like a, yeah, like I can't. <laughs> no, there's no delicate snorting. Someone please, someone please teach us to snort delicately. We're not doing it. Guidance. <laughs> we need this for our days as princesses. It's coming one day. I'm going to manifest it and uh, I'll need to know how to do this. I wonder if Kate Middleton delicately snorts. I, I bet, bet she, she does snort at all. Well, she that's true. Strike me as a snorter. Yeah, I am one hundred percent a snorter, especially if I laugh really hard. So, tutorials, please. Maybe there's a wiki how, wiki how to snort delicately. We may have to create it. Mm. The scene with his sister. So yes. where he reveals what happened to his sister and what his mom did. Like we knew, you know, based on Sekhmus's interactions, mm-hmm. that she's, she's a bad lady. But you don't really get the full extent of how terrible she is until Bristian reveals that he, she murdered her child so that she could steal her power and her soul. Uh, that was very upsetting and brutal. I mean, it's described, she says that, um, or she snapped the neck, like, yeah, the baby's neck. Mm-hmm. That's pretty intense. I mean, terrible. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing. I just I feel like the neck snapping makes it so, I don't know, I guess because I can hear it versus, you know, yeah. sometimes. There's like, oh, smother him with the pillows. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think Brishan even makes a comment about the sound. It's like a quiet snick. Yeah. That would be. Poor Brishan. <sighs> yeah. The trauma. I mean, poor, baby. Yeah. poor baby for sure. Yes. For having a deformity. Um, his mom. Mm. Why can't they have kids? Are they just incompatible? I guess they're incompatible. His uh, Kai Seaman is not. Is it a T? Mm, yeah. Just barrels straight through the egg. Yeah, that's it. Just penetrates and just destroys the egg. <laughs> <laughs> Scrambled it. I think the scene where she falls into the tub of amaranthine dye dye is so funny. Yes. Because the the guy that is at the warehouse is like horrified and she's Mm -hmm. like stained bright pink. And Annie said it's supposed to be like (laughs) 
<laughs> protecting her or whatever is just like laughing. Mm-hmm. And I love that's the mollusk, right? That yeah. He originally says he, she's the color of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it was a good scene. After that, they like she's watching him fighting, like wrestling. Mm-hmm. He's fighting in a loincloth. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem practical to me. No. I feel doesn't. like your oh, genitalia would be very at risk in a loincloth. <laughs> right? Yes, definitely. I'm jangling and stuff. <laughs> The jangling. I I wouldn't want to fight in a loincloth. Also, like one poorly placed maneuver, and you have a scrotum in your face. So, mm-hmm. or a <laughs> properly placed one, and you have a scrotum in your face. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it just seems it seems like it would be a lot more dangerous to fight in a loincloth than pants. Mm-hmm. But what do I know? I do like I think it's that same is it that same scene where then he like nimbly jumps up on a horse behind yeah uh, yeah and his cousin says something to him like oh who are you trying to impress and he's like my wife mm-hmm. that was real cute yeah because I think then it's like later in that same chapter maybe where they do end up enjoying the each other's company <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the progression of their flirting is just really cute. It is. It's very, it's very sweet. Um, And the the way that they start to appreciate the the appearance of the other, you know, Mm. when it's not like when Bristian is able to recognize that while she's not what they consider beautiful by Kai traditional standards to humans, Ildiko is very beautiful. Um, and he starts to get a little bit jealous of other humans appreciating that Zarebek in particular. And he mentions it to her and, uh, she mentions something to him about him being like the most handsome man. And he's like, you mean Kai? And she means no. And she's like, no, I stand by my statement. Like it, it's cute the way that they flirt yeah there's that also one scene like from the first time i guess that she meets um Saravik, he asks oh would uh humans consider him attractive and she was like yes very attractive mm-hmm. and he's unhappy about that answer yeah <laughs> like doesn't quite realize why though at the time right one of those come on tap into your feelings here yeah yeah um what were you gonna say i think the the um conversations that they have about their eyes are really interesting going back to eyes so and he um he compares them to like so he compares her eyes to like a horse like a wild horse like eyes darting around madly and looking and I've never really thought about how if you weren't used to being able to see like sclera iris pupil it might be 
sort of jarring, but he says it seemed to him, it's like there's a parasite inhabiting the person's body and using their eyes like a puppeteer. Mm. I've just never really thought about how bizarre eyes might look if you weren't used to seeing all of that differentiation. And then all of the nonverbal communication that comes from seeing a person's eyes. Ildika mentions that too. It's hard for her to gauge like uh, feelings or facial expressions with him and the other people who are Kai because eyes communicate so much non-verbally, you know, pupils dilate and they constrict and they, um, eyes move side to side rapidly or, um, like she crosses her eyes to unnerve them. Um, there's a lot of non-verbal cues that we get from a person's eye movements. And it would be hard to, for her, like in her situation, to gauge some facial expressions without being able, like she says, the only thing that she can see is that sometimes there's movement around the edges of his eyes. Right. They're the window to the soul. I thought it was interesting that in the book, the um, king's eyes were described as being almost white with age. So I guess they lose that yellow color as they get older, or does that mean he's going blind? Like, does he have cataracts? Like, why uh, are his eyes turning white? I don't know. Cataracts would suck in that situation. It would just cover, like, the whole eye. Mm-hmm. Right? That would be something that was really difficult to adapt to not being able to like really look in someone's eyes, you know, mm -hmm. that'd be a really difficult thing to adapt to. Yeah. It'd be really hard at night too. So their eyes are designed to see at night. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how hard it must be for Ildiko to have to try to navigate things in the dark where they can see if she needs like at least a little bit of light. And something assembling uh, along. I think they do mention that once. Like it's something like she's, like she's grateful for the low like light or something or the can like lone candle. At some mm -hmm. I wonder if she'll evolve like Gollum did. Maybe <laughs> over time, just develop these um, <laughs> gigantic, almost I don't know, yeah, ridiculously large eyes in response to. The darkness and you said so for her i wasn't sure at first where exactly she was you know in terms of whether or not she liked ildiko or not mm -hmm. she seems to have for the most part like she likes her so yeah you know and she definitely has a good like teasing relationship with um uh Brishen mm -hmm. as well their relationship is um he, although he does have to like and sometimes he reminds her like you're not like you know i'm a prince you're my second command or something right mm -hmm. yeah a few times um where he did that but i like her i thought it was kind of the interaction where she was like oh i failed you i failed to protect you to Ego, you know like you can have my head or my sword or something mm -hmm. and it's just like um nope <laughs> yeah silly except she doesn't say the word silly right off, but like she cut herself off she's very graceful about being like no hold on to it you'll be better you know yeah sort of thing and yeah i just thought that it's nice that 
But that kind of culture, though, that breeds that whole, oh, I messed up once, please cut off my head and take mm-hmm. my like, ah, So much stress. That's For sure. Stress. It's a very unforgiving way to live. Mm-hmm. I really like her character, too. She's pretty, uh, she's also very snarky, but she's really funny. There's really obviously something brewing between her and Sarah Beck. He's super flirtatious and she's like, not having it. Yeah. I think, isn't the second book, from what I read, is the second book kind of set up to push them together as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No? And then the third book is about them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is the series complete? Mm, I I don't know. I didn't read the third book. So I had a couple of quotes in this book that I really liked. One of them is when uh, Brishan and Ogiko are talking with each other. He says to her, loneliness is an empty void. We look for that friend in the light. And he asks Ildiko, Will you be that for me, Ildiko, that beacon in the void? And she says, the void is vast, like the sea at night and no land in sight. I'll be that beacon, Brisha. It's just that they're just so sweet. They are. They're really sweet. I mean, you kind of get the impression that they've both had a little bit of, of loneliness that they've experienced in their lives just because of their station, the position that they're in. Like just waiting to be used for whatever purpose the leaders of their country see fit. It would be, I feel like it would be hard to form strong attachments to people knowing that eventually you're going to have, you're going to be married off and forced to move. Probably worse, harder in Ildiko's situation than Brishan's maybe because he doesn't have to move to her country, but still um, just like in his position being prince, and it would be, I would imagine, hard to let people get close to you. you know, yeah. They likely had ulterior motives trying to get power and things like that. So, mm-hmm. And then Brishan says to Ildiko, I will conquer kingdoms for you if you but ask it of me. This is when they're starting to get uh, to develop stronger feelings for each other. And it's just so, it's just so cute. Mm-hmm. I just love them. They're so cute. Mm-hmm a good happy romance it is not toxic at all no they're so kind and respectful to each other i just love it yeah it's a nice differentiation from some of the other books that we read yes definitely and you know so well i mean we read a lot of like enemies to lovers you know sort of thing so this is starts out as like friends to lover sort of thing like yeah which I yeah. like well uh, at, it's like strangers to friends to lovers that's true yeah strangers to I felt if uh, it felt pretty organic yeah. I think it's one of the I things like that really like kind of took me by surprise how organic it really felt that she wrote it that right so mm-hmm. doesn't yeah. feel forced and exactly. it's not like I feel like it happens along a realistic timeline too. Yes. So they don't fall in love within, you know, a week. Mm-hmm. It's like several months. Yeah. 
it's nice. What are your closing thoughts on this book? Um, it was basically what we just said. It was really sweet. Yeah. It was really refreshing to read a book that or a relationship that was built on trust and mutual respect and kindness and their wit and banter versus some sort of like you said insta love or enemies to lovers sort of thing. It was really nice to see. I was a big fan of it. Glad we read it. Me too. Mm -hmm. Me too. It's very sweet, very enjoyable. Mm -hmm. good fantasy romance okay well that wraps up radiance by grace draven join us next week we'll be covering a touch of darkness by scarlet st Clair. a touch of darkness is a sort of a, an a, adaptation of the hades persephone story which Vicky and I both really enjoy. So we're really excited to talk about it next week. We hope you join us. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.